Hello there, and welcome to the SLP Now podcast, where we share practical therapy tips and ideas for busy speech-language pathologists. Grab your favorite beverage and sit back as we dive into this week's episode. Hey there, I am so excited to be diving into all things categories today. Just like we did with basic concepts, we're going to go through some of the evidence around categories and some strategies that we can bring into intervention. And then we'll follow up with a series of practical video demonstrations that show this in action and give you an idea of what this might look like. So again, we'll just recap why we're even thinking about vocabulary because categories is a type of one skill within vocabulary. And it's a foundational skill that we can use for several other building blocks. But just backing up and talking about vocabulary in general, the National Reading Panel, their 2000 article, says that vocabulary is a preeminent predictor of success in learning to read. We all know how important literacy is in school. So that's something that we can definitely take advantage of if we can support our students by targeting vocabulary. And I really like this quote from Rich Gell's 2004, the number of words in a child's vocabulary is an indicator of his or her linguistic health, which is pretty amazing, and then a factor in his or her ability to use language in varied contexts and for multiple purposes. So by helping our students acquire more words, build their vocabulary, we are improving their linguistic health and improving their ability to use language in a variety of contexts, which is what we're all about, right? So I just love that reminder about why we're doing these things. And then more specifically for categories, and I'm going to butcher so many of these names. I wish I knew these people personally, (laughs) but Marmalejo in 1991 said that teaching word meanings as part of a semantic field is especially effective for children with low initial vocabularies. So we might want to target different types of words with older students, but like I alluded to before, categories are a really helpful building block because a lot of definitions that students will be coming up with to define more challenging words will depend on this initial Like they need to have some basic vocabulary to be able to define those words. And I really like how Marmalejo put this together and talking about it as a semantic field. And it's a really great first step in getting some of those words and building that lexicon. And then Honig et al. in 2000 says that asking students to name words in a category or find words in a category increases their concept knowledge, which is some of what we'll be doing throughout this talk. And then Roth and Troya, 2005, say that arranging thoughts, concepts, and words into categories facilitates meaning, memory, and retrieval. It's like a way to organize the different components in our brain. And I've heard, I cannot remember where this came from, or I would totally cite the person, but there's just a really cool graphic out there about how Students with typically developing language, their language in their brain is organized into nice, neat folders, and it's easy for them to find what they need. Whereas students with language delays or disabilities, they don't have those folders, and there's just, if you just picture a desk, there's papers all over the place. 
And I think by teaching categories, we give them a way to organize some of those different words. And according to Roth and Troya, that facilitates meaning, memory, and retrieval, which is pretty neat too. So just some rationale behind teaching categories. It's also Beck and McCown in their 2007 book, I believe. And I will list all of the sources in the notes. Just, I don't always remember if it's a book or an article when I'm giving these presentations, but discussing semantic features such as function, physical characteristics, location, associations, help students have more detailed understanding of words. And I wanted to plug that in there because we're going to be focusing primarily on categories, but the study that we're going to be diving into more detail, it talks about categories, but it talks about using semantic features around categories, which I think is a really smart way to organize the intervention. So that's pretty exciting and I can't wait to dive into that. But first, let's talk a little bit about assessment. So we obviously want to figure out where students are and determine their strengths and needs and where they might need more support. And there are so many options out there. I ended up creating a leveled assessment because I know that certain categories are easier than others. Some are more concrete and some are more abstract. Some are more content specific and so I kind of have four sets of categories that I will look at to determine what types of words I want to target with my students. And then once I determine which level is appropriate, and I might look at different levels depending on where the student is at, but I also want to look and see how they're doing with convergent versus divergent categories. So with convergent categories, just a quick recap, because I know the words are all super similar. So this is when we give them three items or however many items and they have to name the category. So if I say a dog, a cat, and a fox are all, and then the student fills in animals, they're demonstrating convergent categories. With divergent categories, we give the category and the student has to name the items. And there's different levels and depths of response that we might get. So if we say, tell me the name of three fruits, the student might be able to say banana and they give one and then they might be able to give multiple ones. And we can also get more and more specific, especially as we get towards the more complex categories, like maybe naming different animals. That's an, a relatively simple one, but we can see like the number of responses they give and also how specific their examples are and really how much depth is there to those responses is really interesting to look at. And we have different expectations for a preschooler versus a third grader. And so we just kind of want to gauge that a little bit. And we already talked about concrete versus abstract categories. I determine that by my leveled assessments and I just increase, like I move towards more abstract because that's more challenging. And then it's also interesting to look at receptive versus expressive. Are they able to just come up with a name for three categories? Or if I give them a sheet of paper that has a bunch of pictures on it and I tell them, find all of the animals, can they do that? Can they identify all of the animals? Or the other way around, if I tell them, 
three items and I just give them pictures that represent different categories, are they able to do that receptively? Obviously, that receptive activity is a little bit easier, but that can be a way to kind of figure out where they are. Like, do they understand the concepts at all? Or are they just missing the vocabulary? Are they having trouble organizing? And so we can make different hypotheses and test them looking at these different components of categories. And like I said, I just have the leveled assessment that I use and it allows me to look at all of these different components, but I'm sure there are tons of resources out there that make that just as easy and simple. Okay, and so then once we know where we're starting, we have an idea of the level of categories we want to work on and whether we're doing more with divergent versus convergent categories. Well, we first want to do a little bit of teaching, which we'll dive into more in the demonstration. And then I'll also show you how another study did this. But some other quick activity ideas as you're working on practicing these different categories are just finding items in a book. Like if you're doing a book reading activity, as you're reading, you can identify different categories and like, oh, I see an apple, that's a fruit. And like I said, we'll dive into more specifics there. But targeting concepts, categories in the context of a book is always a great idea in my opinion. You can also ask questions about the categories and engage in some discussion around them and then integrate them into new activities. So again, talk about more specific ideas, but especially play-based activities, like one day you work on food categories, you can do some play activities that expand that definition of food or fruits or vegetables or dessert or whatever other category for students. And it really varies depending on the category, but that's a really fun way to target those items. Okay, so like I said, we are going to talk about how Hadley et al. in their 2019 article did it. So I pulled a couple quotes that I thought were really helpful, and I just love how they structured their intervention and what they did. So I can't wait to dive in. But one approach to boosting the impact of book reading is to pair play or other playful activities with book reading sessions, which is what we were just talking about. And this is a quote from the Hadley et al. article, and they cited like three different studies for that approach. And there's, again, you're seeing a trend. This is what we talked about with the basic concepts as well and pairing book reading and play and really getting into context when we're targeting these different vocabulary goals. So that's exciting. And in this particular intervention, they did guided book reading and play. And just a sneak peek at the results, so you have some motivation to listen to me diving into the study. They, their analyses indicated that intervention had significant positive effects on children's depth of vocabulary knowledge, which is pretty exciting. That's a pretty awesome result. So let's dive into a little bit of what this looked like. Like I said before, they did shared book reading and they always did the shared book reading first. And they talked about the book reading as serving as a foundation for later play. And they said that children may gain fast-mapped understanding of a book's new words and a narrative. So that all together, combined all together, 
serves as the basis for different play ideas. And it's really cool because if they were reading, like in the article they read about planting a rainbow, so something about flowers and vegetables in the garden, which is about vegetables. So they read these books and then they were able to engage in play related to that. So they had a little bit of a a narrative around those categories and those topics that they were able to use in play, which is so cool. I love it. And one thing that I wanted to mention before we dive into more of the logistics, but they talked about thematically related words versus taxonomies. And we'll kind of dive into that. So with thematic words, they're involved in the same event. So like rain and umbrella are thematically related or car and garage are thematically related and they don't share characteristics and are not of the same type. They're just around the same theme. But then they also talked about words and taxonomies and these are hierarchically related and they're organized in a nested structure. So each higher category or higher order category is more general. Like we can build this up to allow for inference making. So for example, the example they gave in the article, an animal with five digits and can be characterized as a primate. So given those different features, you can infer which animal that is. And it's a really, like they talk about taxonomic knowledge as being a shortcut for acquiring information about the world. So with the example that they gave in the article with the books, so they picked eight targets from each book. So they had taxonomy members like artichoke and tiger lily. And then they also had some theme words like vines and petals. So they had those taxonomy members. So examples of fruit or vegetables and flowers. And then they also had some of the themed words. And they thought that teaching words and taxonomies was of particular advantage because instruction can capitalize on their hierarchical nature. And it's cool because once you teach the properties of a category, you can apply it to all exemplars in that category. So if they get a really good idea of what a flower is, when they encounter a new type of flower, they'll be able to identify that as a flower. And it's really helpful in terms of a word finding piece because they might not know the name of that new flower, but they can describe it. They can say it's a flower with red and yellow petals. So they would be building all of that knowledge that they need to be able to describe and come up with the description for that object, which is really cool. So yeah, in terms of the logistics, they selected eight target words, five were taxonomy members, two were themed words, and they had another unrelated word. So that's how they set that up. And then for the book reading, they discussed the words prior to doing the reading, and then they explained the target words when it occurred in the text. So they would like point to an illustration and they would point them out like these are radishes. Here's another picture of some radishes growing in the ground. So they would point out those words in the reading. And then they also provided definitional information in concise, child-friendly language. So if you listen to my vocabulary 
talk that's super important there. So they would say, like, they would talk about taxonomy membership, like radishes are vegetables. They would talk about taxonomy non-membership. So radishes don't have seeds, so they're not a fruit. They would talk about how the word relates to the larger theme. So some vegetables grow on vines, as vines was one of their themed words. They would talk about the perceptual features. So radishes are red on the outside and white on the inside. They taste a little spicy. They would also provide conceptual information. So radishes are the root of the plant, so they grow underground. In all of these examples, they're talking about the taxonomy member, but then they're with the conceptual information, they were talking about the root, which was another vocabulary word. And then they also talked about the object function. So people usually eat radishes raw. And so they're providing all of these features and information to help students understand what radishes are. And they're talking about the category, what categories they don't belong to, and helping them expand on that and really get a deep understanding of what a vegetable is and what a fruit is while also increasing other vocabulary and increasing that depth, which is really helpful. I love how they made it so practical and functional in that way because like, they're not just memorizing categories, they're really developing a deep understanding around the words. So then they'll really be able to take advantage of this when they encounter new words like we talked about before. And then they always followed their sessions with a play or their book reading with a play session. Oh, but I also forgot. During the first and second readings of the book, children were encouraged to repeat the word. And this was to reinforce that phonological representation. So if we're targeting radish, they would say, can you say radish? And then in the third and fourth readings, children were given a definition and asked to supply the word. So what is the vegetable that grows underground and is red on the outside and white on the inside? So the first two sessions are really simple, like, can you say radish? And then in the subsequent two sessions, they're asked to say the word again, but they're asked to apply some extra information to it. Like they actually have to remember what a radish is. And so I thought that was just a really cool way to set that up. Again, they're working on those vocabularies. But following every book reading, they had a 10-minute play session, and they had toys for each book. So I assume that they had, like, pretend food for the vegetables unit and, like, flowers and maybe different dirt. But here, it even lists what they use. So for the vegetables book, they had a farmhouse, farmer figurines, toy vegetable suit, seeds, cooking supplies. For the farmer book, they also had farmhouse, farmer figurines, and seeds, but they also had toy plant beds and clay to represent dirt and just different gardening tools, which sounds like a whole lot of fun. So they also adjusted how they did their play. So during the first couple days, they did adult-directed play, and the child was given just two or three props, and they were instructed to enact key concepts. So it's really incorporating that movement and really making them real. So they did like, let's plant some seeds. And they included some dialogue around that. So they said, those are a small part of the plant. Let's put them in the soil and water them and they will grow into flowers. So that's again, expanding that knowledge of the word. Then during the second two days, 
they did more of a child-led guided play, and then the children initiated play, and the clinician followed the student's lead, and they built on their play ideas and encouraged other children to come to join in on the play. And they did like pretend play where they pretended to be a farmer and a chef and they incorporated target words, which again, this sounds really familiar with when we were doing basic concepts. And they just really made sure that they were using their target concepts during that activity. So that is pretty awesome. It makes a lot of like this is a lot of what we're already doing it just puts a little bit more of a framework around it and i think it's really cool to see how that works so this goes beyond categories a little bit but i think it's a richer way to teach those categories and i mean it's always worth a try and it's a way to kind of get a jump start on some of the other components like we'll be diving into describing later on and as you can see, like we talked about perceptual features and object function, like those are all describing words, but they're really integral to categories because that's how you differentiate the different items in the categories. And that's what makes this skill so functional because you can see how it would easily benefit a student, whether it's with word finding or navigating new texts and trying to make sense of all of those different tasks that they might encounter throughout the school day. And one thing that I like to do, this isn't something that was in the studies, but I think it's a way to help students talk about it. And I might build, so I just have some sentence strips that I use, like a blank is a type of blank. A blank is a blank that blinks. <laughs> and a blank is a blank blank. So the first blank that I mentioned would be a member of the taxonomy. So if we're doing radish, so we'd say a radish is a type of, and then they would have to fill in the category. A radish is a vegetable that grows underground. A radish is a red vegetable. And so that way, because we're always working on <laughs> these goals in mixed groups. So for students who have good conceptual knowledge, who have a good vocabulary, but are working on like grammar or just different levels of these skills, we can have them do some of the describing and help prompt them and have them serve as a model. And I think that's a really helpful and useful strategy. And it just benefits the students all around because we're able to build that knowledge and get some really functional practice in. So that is pretty exciting. That's all that we have for today from the research side of things. We've got lots of time to dive into the practical demonstrations of how this can all come together and what it will all look like in action. So be sure to check out the videos demonstrating the different steps of the process, and we'll see you next time. Head to slpnow.com 10. Again, that's slpnow.com 10 to check out all of the videos, see the list of references, and also find the link. It's right at the top of the page to the Speech Therapy PD course. So if you register for the course, whether you have a Speech Therapy PD membership or you just sign up to purchase this podcast as a one-time course, you can do that. And the cool thing is that you can earn ASHA CEUs for listening to this podcast. So pretty good stuff. Let me know if you have any questions and we'll see you soon.
Thanks for listening to the SLP Now podcast. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through Speech Therapy PD. So yes, you can earn ASHA CEUs for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your SLP friends. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to get the latest episodes sent directly to you. See you next time.